So welcome to the Bible Hack. My name is Greg, um, and this is going to be a very interesting one. Um, I mentioned in a prior video, link is upstairs here, of the Wonder Woman video, Women in the Bible, I mentioned the term imagers. This will dive deeper into what that is, and if you haven't seen the Wonder Woman yet, click on it and go and peep it. But first, watch this video because it'll help make that a little bit clearer. So we're going to dive into what it means to be an imager. And I can tell you right off the cuff, it's probably not what you're expecting. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, your intelligence or even your process, you know, you, the choices you've made. I've heard some people say like Christians are better imagers or something along those lines. I, I, I think the Bible shows clearly that that's not the case. Um, so there's something intrinsic about us as humans that defines made in the image of God. It's also not the way we appear outwardly because we all very look very different. So it's not an outward appearance thing either. So what is it? We kind of know what it isn't. I believe it has to do with your function here on earth. And I think the scriptures make this clear. So let's get into this. As usual, we're going to dig into the Bible to kind of get to the bottom of what this means from a strictly biblical perspective. The second part of this or second thing, theme of this video is I'm going to take a bit more time, at least I'm going to try to take a bit more time and demonstrate the tools and the methodologies I'm using when we do this study. Why? Because the key purpose of Bible hacking is to help you become a better disciple as my Bible has helped is helping me on a daily basis become a better disciple. And a part of that is we are called, each and every one of us as Christians, to go out and make disciples. So hopefully this will help equip you for that. We'll get into some of the tools. We'll get into like good recommendations for how you can unpack these things that you come across in your Bible. And that's going to be our Bible hack. So join me over here. Like I said, my name is Greg. This is going to be awesome. As I promised, we're going to jump straight into the Bible hack and let's take it off right from the top. So first of all, I've used this before. This is simply Logos. So this is a Bible app. If you don't have Logos, you can, it's not expensive. You can do monthly payment plans like Microsoft Office type of stuff. But if you don't have this, um, Blue Letter Bible online is free as far as I can understand. Bible Gateway is definitely free for sure as well. Um, and there's also, I've recently found out the Net Bible. I'll put links to all of these in the description. You could definitely go and check them out. Um, all the web-based ones that I just mentioned are free and they're excellent resources. The Net Bible in particular has its full notes. And the Net Bible is what's called a New English Translation. And it, it really shows you like, why was this translated this way? Because always remember, there's a huge difference between the original languages and English. The Bible was not written in King James English. So it was written in Hebrew, sometimes Aramaic, oftentimes Greek. So we, we need to take that into consideration when trying to interpret it and understand it as the authors intended today. 
So let's jump into this one. It's in, um, it's where it all starts. Genesis 1, starting at verse 26. And God said, let us make humankind in our image and according to our likeness, and let them rule over the, the sea of the air, etc., etc. And then so God, verse 27, created humankind in his image. So that's kind of um, part one. Um, that's the, the basic premise. And we already spoke about, and if you don't remember, peep up here, upper corner, I'm going to put a link to the actual video, um, maybe other corner, whatever, I'm not sure, but check up here. It's one of the corners. I'm going to put, put a link to the video on four basic steps for interpreting scriptures, the STOP paradigm. Good. Check that out, and then you can come back here. And it's basically, what's the situation? So what's the situation of this text? Situation is, this is a creation narrative. Narrative doesn't mean story or make-believe or fiction. Just means this is someone writing out how creation happened. So that is the, the situation here. Uh, what type of literature is it? This is not poetry. This is not apocalyptic. It, it's, it's mythological. So it's the, again, mythological does not mean make-believe or fiction. It's just a description of a deity doing something huge. That's what this is. And that helps us read it from the right perspective. Um, the next one was the object, like, like who is speaking here and who is he speaking to? This is God speaking to earth, saying this is um, how I'm, I, I am doing this so that we know. And is it prescriptive or descriptive? It is very, very clearly descriptive. This is the description of what we, you know, what has happened during creation. So with that context in mind, so that's the STOP, like I said, check the video if you don't know what I mean by that. Um, the next good step that I often recommend is go and do a word study. Because of the, the, the nuances of the differences in language, we should first check out what this word means in English, or at least how is it used elsewhere in the Bible. So let's look at image. And here is my word study on, oops, wrong one. Hold on a second, I'll go back. Make mankind in our image. And that right there, let me show you what I did there. Hold on. Um, the way Logos works, if I click on a word here, like image, um, it allows, it, the, the word study goes straight to the Hebrew word of it. So we can see image, this is the word, this is the lemma, the, the Hebrew word for it is selem. So I literally just clicked on the word image and then my um, word study thing tool pops up and it says, hey, this is the description. And you can get it from various sources. This is a Bible dictionary. This is the, 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 the other Bible dictionary. This is, I think, a Lexham Bible dictionary. If you click on them, you'll get the details of what those sources are. But this is the word. So we know it means image, statue, likeness, or idol. Interesting thing here, if you click on the word in the middle of the diagram, you get a listing of everywhere, and this is very key, because remember we spoke about this, these terms, often we don't have dictionary definitions of a Hebrew term. So the way you identify what the term is used for is to see how else was it used. So the first place we can see it was used, obviously, in you know Genesis 1, the same thing we were just talking about, and then so God created humans in his image, same thing we were just talking about. The next place it came up is, and when Adam lived 105 years, he fathered a child. Let's go there. This is Genesis 5. So what does Genesis 5 tell us about likeness and about image? 
it says that the image is transmitted from human to human. So it is not unique that only God can make in his image. And what this does is it starts deteriorating the idea that, oh yeah, um, we need to make a choice or God needs to put his Holy Spirit in us or you know, some, he needs to call us or something like that in order to be his image. We're, we're starting to see in the text that God made Adam in his image. Adam made a child, Seth, Abel, Cain, all of them, and they were also in Adam's image. So we're seeing that the image characteristic moves from human to human. Let's dig a little bit deeper into that. And let me switch back to the Bible screen again. I'm now going to go to a different verse, and this is Genesis 9. Genesis 9 is after the flood. So flood happens, things were bad, you know, God wipes us out. And then God says, as for shedding the blood of humankind, by humankind shall his blood be shed. In other words, if you kill someone, you should be killed. Why? For God made humankind in his own image. And what am I trying to show you there? I'm trying to show you again, the fact that you are human is what makes you in God's image. Point blank period. It is not based on choices and we were closer to God, so Christians are more in his image. That is not what the text shows us. Even after, as a matter of fact, the, the Genesis 9 is showing us even when humans do bad things, they are still made in God's image. So that brings us kind of to the next step. If you remember from the, back to the Bible, um, from the word study, the other place that this term comes up a lot is around idols. So idols is a term that's used for idols images. Here we must make an image of your tumors. Um, here um, you must break down all the temples of Baal and, and tear down all its images. So we're seeing this image term is kind of tied to idols. So let's dig into idols a little bit more. And what is idolatry? Idolatry, and this I'm literally just looking it up in what's called the Lexham Bible Dictionary. It's a tool that's built into Lagos. There's plenty of Bible dictionaries online. You could probably even find the Lexham, and I believe it's for free. I believe you can get a free version of Lagos, and Lexham Bible Dictionary comes with it. And what you see there is idolatry of images, you see the term again, made to represent Yahweh or other deity. That is what idolatry is. And what's interesting. The Old Testament bans the worship of any images or idols. And you see all the bevy of scriptures where it's explicitly banned. Exodus, you shouldn't have any new images in, ahead of me, etc., etc., etc. Despite repeated prohibitions against making idols, the children of Israel continued worshiping idols through the Old Testament. So why is this problematic? This is problematic, and I'm going to jump onto this other verse. This is from a commentary. So what, we, what we've done so far, we, and let me click to the other screen, I'm sorry. We looked at the verse, we dug into the word to see where else the word is used. Like, is it, is it always used for human images, for other things? And we saw that. Then we started looking at some of the other verses that are tied to the same usage of this word. And that's where we see, okay, humans can also make things in their image. And we also see that um, all humans, humankind is all, they've all inherited godly image. So this is what we've learned just by 
jumping from word to word to word in the verse. Then we looked at, okay, since we see this word is also used for idolatry, we looked at idolatry. Now we are going to look at what's called a commentary. So we started in Genesis 1.26, and in Genesis 1.26, I looked at, and this is the contemporary commentary of the Bible, um, and this part is written by John Walton, uh, and I'll get it more into that in a second. In the ancient world, an image was believed to carry the essence of that which it represented. And I'm going to stop right there and switch gears for just a second. Um, why is this key? Why is it important to understand what the ancient world thought? Because remember, this was written to the ancient world. He's not, the author is not going to use a Star Wars reference or some other reference that the ancient world wouldn't get. He's writing to his audience. So we need to understand what was this audience thinking when they heard image, what would they think? So we understand here now, based on this um, contemporary commentary, um, that in the ancient world, image meant to carry the essence of what it represented. Um, an image was a form of a deity, and sometimes the same terminology was used there as, to you, as is used in the worship of a deity because the image contained the deity's essence. Super, super, super important. So why is that clutch? Why is that key to us? Because it exposes two problems. As a matter of fact, one I'm going to jump on, but let me jump on the other one first. It exposes one key problem. Why is idolatry so much of a big deal in the Old Testament and now still? Because when you understand that you, me, are created in God's image, when we put something else as an idol ahead of God, it, it's indicative of us not understanding that we are God's image. Like, we are made in God's image. We carry God's essence, according to how the ancient Near East world interpreted it. So why would you worship something different that you think also has God's essence? Like, it's a, it shows you're misunderstanding something. And this is why the Old Testament was so adamant about do not worship other idols. It's not that other gods didn't exist, but they understood that Yahweh was God above all the gods. So why would you worship something of a God of a lower level. So um, to get to the bottom of what really is this, it's kind of a, uh, it's, it's difficult. It's a, it's a grammatical thing. But uh, a verse from, and I'm going to switch cameras for a second, a verse from this book right here, which is an excellent book, um, from page 41, describes it best. And let me turn right, right back here for a second. Um, it's, it boils down to Hebrew, which is what the text was written in, grammar. And it's going to be a very short little grammar spasm for a second. Um, but the, the, the key is, and let me go back to the verse here. The key is the word in. So let us make humankind in our image. In. That in is very key to what's happening here. And basically, the in says the image part is tied to the in. And just like in, in English, in can have a whole bunch of different connotations. I can say, put the dishes in the dishwasher. That talks about location. I could say, and I'm getting this from Heiser's book, I smashed the mirror in pieces. That's a result of something. So the in points to result. 
I can also say, I, Greg, work in computers. That doesn't mean that I am locationally inside of a computer. It means that my field of work is in the field of computers. And that is what the grammar shows us here. And I'm going to show you a quick um, little um, um, interlinear where you can see the, 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 the language a little bit clearer, but I'm, I'm going to make it a step clearer than this here in a second. The way the Hebrews put together is in image, we mankind will make, says God. And then he said, see, fish rule over according to likeness. So the likeness is tied to ruling over. The image is tied to ruling over. And again, I'm going to read from, um, again, the unseen realm, which is right here. Um, there's the Unseen Realm, fantastic book, highly recommended, like I said, page 42. Um, if we think of imaging as a verb or a function, the translation makes sense. We are created to image God or to be his imagers, which is the term I used in the Wonder Woman video. Men and women are equal imagers of God. It is that what we are by definition. Image is not an ability to, that we have, but image is a status. We are God's representatives on earth. To be human is to be an imager of Christ. I repeat, the image is not an ability we have, but a status. We are God's representatives on earth. To be human is to image God. That is what it means to be made in the image. It's not about how we look. It's not about whether we're smart enough or not smart enough or whether we make a right choice. It is an innate capacity inside of us to represent God. We could choose not to. It would be a waste, but we could. But the bottom line is we have the ability to do that. And it is most clear in a specific version of the text. I'm going to read the same thing we just read, but I'm going to read it from the Net Bible. Because it makes that grammatical tie together a little bit better. Again, let me, for comparison's sake, let me read it from um, um, the, and this is, this is going to be my last tip. This is something you should do when you're reading. Read multiple versions. And God said, let us make humankind in our image. This is the Lexham English Bible. And according to our likeness, and let them rule over the sea of the, the, the air, etc., etc. Let's check that in a different version. In ESV, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, period, and let them have dominion over the sea of the air. See, that, that conveys like it's two different things. Oops, sorry. Um, let's check it in maybe KJV. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, semicolon, and let them have dominion over the sea of the, the, the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that is on the earth. Now, let's read this same text in the net. And God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness, comma, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth. The so is key. The imaging is required so that we may rule. So what is our primary purpose on earth? 
our primary primary purpose on earth this is why it comes after it and in unseen realm um, they, they say um, theologians call this the dominion mandate in verse 28 what does verse 28 say verse 28 says and God blessed them and he said to them be fruitful multiply fill the earth subdue it rule it be fruitful multiply fill the earth rule over it the ability to do that is because we are imagers the the we can only be fruitful multiply subdue the earth rule it because we are god's imagers and this theme recurs over and over in the bible it happened there in genesis 1 right after god created humans Immediately after the fall, when, you know, Genesis chapter 3, when, when mortality, death came into the world, what is the first thing God said when he, after man had fallen? He gave him a curse, but what was built into the curse? Woman, you are going to be fruitful, but it's going to be painful. Man, you are going to rule over the earth, but you're going to have to fight the earth now. It's not going to give up its fruit to you easily. But the fact that the curse was tied to those same two things, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, shows that God's function for us, purpose for us, our mission had not changed. We are to represent him here on earth. Fast forward to um, um, Genesis 9, Noah's Ark. Everything blows away. Noah's Ark is, you know, the world is cleaned off. As soon as man gets off of the boat, what does God tell him? And God blessed him and he told him, same term, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Why was that important? Because that was God's fundamental purpose for us. And you know, the interesting thing here, we'll get into this maybe in a future episode. When was the first time Matter of fact, you get at me in the content, in the comments. When was the first time that man actually started doing exactly that? So it didn't happen from Genesis all the way up to, to you know, to Noah's Ark. After Noah's Ark, the mandate is given again. When is the first time that term reappears back in the Bible and it says, hey, and man was being fruitful and multiplying? You find that for me. Let's discuss it down in the comments. I hope this was a blessing. I hope you get now why it's important what I said. And the link is be up here or up here. I'm not sure where. In the Wonder Woman video when I said man and woman were designed to be equal imagers of Christ together. That's why we're getting into this. And I hope this has been a blessing to you. Again, my name is Greg. Remember to click subscribe, like the whole kid and caboodle, share this with some friends. I hope this really helps you get a passion and a hunger for digging into your word because the, 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 the truth is really based all in the word. Like a lot of the things we struggle with nowadays, racism, um, um, you know, am I better, is who, who's better? These things are solved as Christians if we understand what God built into the word. So hopefully this has been helpful. Um, be blessed. Talk to you guys in the comments. Peace.